On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Josh Israel. And I think that's a lot of, that's that's something that, you know, we face and we, we try to train ourselves out of that. It's like, we're not afraid anymore of failing or telling someone that, or te- uh, someone telling us that's a really stupid idea. Maybe you shouldn't do it or telling us why it's dumb, you know? This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Josh, thanks for making time. Absolutely. So uh, it was pretty fun to see your presentation there at the, the Ladato C event. Um, for people who don't know Ladato C, can you can you tell about that and then we'll have you explain what paper is? Absolutely. So uh, His Holiness Pope Francis put out an encyclical Um, about a year ago, where he talked about a few pillars of caring for our common home. The whole theme about the encyclical was caring for our common home. And he talked about, you know, human migration crisis, the water crisis, uh, the environmental crisis, the destruction of our environment, and it all kind of centered around climate change. So these fantastic entrepreneurs, you know, got together and they created this challenge, the Laudato Sea Challenge, where they used these pillars and challenged startups who were tackling these problems that, you know, if you were working on these huge problems with crazy solutions, reach out to us. We'll fund your company. We'll bring you to Rome. We'll give you mentorship for, I think it was 12 weeks. And then you'll present at the Vatican. You'll have the name of the Vatican behind you. And, and you'll have everyone here behind you. And if, if that is what you know your goal and mission is for your company, this is the perfect opportunity uh, for you to kind of drive that forward. So that's what we did. And that's what we were part of and happy to be a part of. And so you got to go to the accelerator and you got some funding. Is that right? That's right. So the accelerator was in Rome and they also invested in the company. That's correct. That's great. And so tell us about, you know, for this impact investing stuff, tell us about um, how you're making the world better, but making money at the same time. 
Sure. So our mission at Paper is to drive environmental sustainability through paper reduction in organizations. Uh, when we were when we were selling our previous company and we were thinking about what to work on next, Devin and I wanted to work on a huge problem. And you know, for us as entrepreneurs, we thought it was crazy that we're young, we're tech forward entrepreneurs, and yet we're still printing paper at our office. People in our network are printing paper, you know, crazy amounts of paper, and we thought it was just outrageous happening in 2017. So we said, how can we stop this? And we, we believe it was a behavioral issue. We believe that people continue to print because of the behavior of hitting file print. And you know, all these different softwares are out there, but people are just so used to hitting file print, they continue to, to print paper. So we thought if we can you know, basically hack that menu and produce software from that menu, we would be able to reduce paper usage. And the end result of that being, you know, obviously paper is one of, the EPA calls it actually one of the worst polluting industries in the world. So, you know, that's, there's carbon dioxide emissions. There's obviously, you know, trees being cut down, which is hurting the environment, climate change. It affects a lot of different things that people actually don't know about. Uh, a, trillion, a trillion sheets of paper are printed out every single year, 40% of which ends up in the trash. It's, it's a crazy amount of paper that ends up just getting thrown out and it's destroying the environment. And um, so explain how it works with you guys and why this helps interrupt that behavioral click the button. Sure. So when you hit file print, uh, our software shows up as the printer, essentially. And from there, we launch our workflows. And initial, our initial product is actually digital signature workflow. So we have an easier, faster, and much more inexpensive method of getting documents signed at businesses. So if you're, let's say, a large enterprise like a company that we're working with has about 90,000 employees, if anything happens within that company, usually a few people need to sign off on it. If someone gets hired or fired or salary change, three or four people need to sign off on a document. So with our software, they're just hitting file print. We're actually reading through the document, figuring out who needs to sign it, placing the person who printed the document signature on it, and also just sending that document to the people who have to sign it. So after they hit print, we basically automate the entire process. And the people who do receive the document of the sign it, they just click one button to place their signature there, and it's automatically synced to their cloud storage. So we basically automated the entire internal signature process for them. But for us, really, it's a stepping stone uh, for our larger vision of becoming the company that businesses turn to when they want to go paperless. And as I was saying earlier, that's going to be achieved through a number of different product lines, which we'll end up building out as we grow the company, all starting from the file print menu, because at any time, if you want to print a document or use paper, you're going to hit print. And so... Um, compared to like a, a sign now or, you know, some Adobe <laughs> products or other things in sure. that space, yep. um, tell me how it is that, that you guys are, are getting ahead and you're winning market share against bigger incumbents. Right. So when those, so those older, older incumbents, they're, they're pretty old now. And so they built their product really as sort of a third party signing tool. So for example, like when we were doing our series A in India, we used DocuSign to, uh, you know, because we had investors in Russia, Singapore, India, America, and it's great because we had all these different people signing all over the place. So, and that's how their architecture and their product was built for that method. It really wasn't built with sort of the enterprise and large companies in mind. And so we have, we literally have built our product hand in hand with the large enterprise to solve that problem. And they were using one of these previous products, but they found it cumbersome and very expensive to use. And so when we were building our product, we were doing it hand in hand with them to make sure that we kind of solve this internal process for them. Because, you know, if you look at these large organizations, they have huge amounts of paper being used internally only. And so that's where kind of we know our sweet spot is and where we're focusing most of our product is that internal internal workflow. You know, you think about how many people out there, they're either part of something innovative or like a, like an Airbnb or something like this, or they wish they were. It's is what it seems like a lot, right? Right. Um, 
But so many folks, when they're making something new, they're off in the boardroom with the whiteboard and it's only the people on their staff. Why do you think more folks don't do something like you did and get integrated with a potential client and actually like build it right there, getting that live feedback loop? That's that's a great question. You know, we we made that mistake and that's what drove us to do it this way. It's like when we were building our previous products in India and we, we just never talked to people or built it with them, right? We just threw stuff on the, oh, that's a great idea. Let's build it. And, you know, you never know if anyone's actually going to use the product. It's 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 really a bad way of building a product. But so when you get in, in front of somebody, especially if a company or a customer and you're building it with them, at least worst case scenario, you know, they're going to pay for your product because this is what they wanted. So you've got one customer at least paying for it. The reason uh, people don't do it this way, I, you know, I think a lot of the time is they believe in their mind what they're building is great and they are very scared to hear otherwise. And I think that's a lot of, and that's, that's something that, you know, we face and we, we try to train ourselves out of that. It's like, we're not afraid anymore of failing or telling someone that or tell us, someone telling us that's a really stupid idea. Maybe you shouldn't do it or telling us why it's dumb, you know? entrepreneurs especially first-time entrepreneurs i think they're really scared of failure and and having someone tell them what they're doing is incorrect or wrong or stupid you know it's funny you say that i think about some of my earlier companies um and how there's definitely these times when i was i was asking people for feedback but what i was really looking for was confirmation you know <laughs> yeah like what yep. i was really looking for is uh i was fishing for compliments about how smart i was yeah and i wasn't I wasn't really looking for results. I was looking for um, them to like validate my own concerns about if I'm smart, if I matter, if mm-hmm. I deserve to be in this kind of a role. And and I definitely like took offense <laughs> at times of the like I, when somebody was trying to point out something they felt like wasn't as effective with what I was doing, I like decided mm-hmm. to take it as like a personal judgment about me as a human. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, such a disservice to my team and my customers and, and even myself, right. To like mm-hmm. wrap up my self image in the experiment, how, how good the experiment is so far. Right. Right. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I, you know, t- two things, uh, while you're saying that is the one thing is that, you know, it's, I don't talk to friends or family about your product. Because they're going to tell you it's great. Unless they're like super heavily involved in the industry that you're building it for, they're always going, oh, yeah, that's nice. They're usually going to give you confirmation. Or if they, do, if they don't give you confirmation, you're going to feel like it's a personal attack on you because you know these people really well. And that's just a, a bad road to go down. And the second thing is don't be married to what you're building. I mean, you hear this all the time, right? It's like entrepreneurs, they always pivot like Slack, for example, one of the biggest pivots ever. And if you're married to the product that you're building – you're not going to succeed because it's going to change drastically as you grow. So you have to be ready to scrap everything and start over and never take it as a personal affront. If you find that what you're building is not going to work, scrap it and start over. You're better off than you know going down this path of, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about or she doesn't know what she's talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I'm blah, blah, blah. blah. You know, that's just a horrible mindset to be in. That, that's really, you know, that's what we've learned in these past few years. Our sponsor for this episode of Innovation and Leadership is Skillshare. If you're not familiar with them, they're an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes on business and marketing and entrepreneurship and technology and and lots of other classes too, illustration, other things I'm interested in. Um, They've given us a special offer where for listeners of our show, you can get two months 
for just 99 cents where you can see all these 18,000 classes unlimited access it's uh, skillshare.com slash leader and I think what I like about them most is their high quality classes that are from high credibility instructors you know content marketing right from contently or the one I took was last was email marketing right from MailChimp where you know these are folks who are obviously seeing millions of other people's email marketing campaigns go out so they they really are kind of a high credibility source of information so again it's skillshare.com slash leader 99 cents for com- complete access to all their courses for the next two months uh, one last time skillshare.com slash l-e-a-d-e-r thanks yeah you know but you think about, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you mm-hmm. obviously can't know much about statistics, right? It's yeah. not a good statistical <laughs> choice, right? Yeah. It requires a little bit of, uh, you know, in- intentional naivety, like over-optimism, right? Sure. Um, sure. But then that gets away from us too, right? So when you think about that dilemma of, is this the, like, is this the problem, like Henry Ford said about, if I'd asked my customers what they want, they would have said faster horses, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's, is this the part where they just don't have the vision of, of what I'm doing, what I'm doing is what I should be doing? Or the other side of the balance beam of I'm bullheaded and not being wise and realistic about the environment this is headed into or, or this aspect of it, and I'm ignoring it because I like it. Do you have any tips of like when you find yourself offside or what's, what's kind of your canary in the coal mine when you find yourself on either side of that balance beam to get back in the middle of it? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here. I find, you know, I, you hear those quotes from like Steve Jobs, like you said, and Henry Ford, um, like the customer doesn't know what they want. I'm building it for them, right? They don't know what they're talking about. I think there's very few people in the world who they're super visionaries. When you look at the people who have been able to accomplish that, it's like, you know, you have your Steve Jobs, you have your Henry Ford and these people who have, who've built products that customers don't know that they want until they put it out there for them. Right. It's, 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 uh, it's a difficult path to walk. Um, but you know, it's really tough. I personally, I, I would go down the path of, of having a more secure route to, to knowing that someone's going to use your product. Uh, It's, it's, for me, it's really, really difficult to say, Oh, you know, I'm going to put this out there, but then they don't know that they want this yet. And boom, here you go. It's that's a, I think that's a one in a million shot. And, you know, I think entrepreneurship, uh, Maybe I'm jaded at this point, but it's. I think you have to, as much as you can, uh, take the path that you know is going to lead to some sort of success. And I'm going back to you know building the product with your consumer or building the product with your customer. I think, in my opinion, humble opinion, that's the that's the correct path to go down. Well, and I want to talk about this. You successfully built another company, um, yeah. and then when you're doing this one, you still made mistakes, anyways, right? Of course. So. Yeah. Uh, for starters, tell us tell us what the last one is and and when you sold it. <laughs> yeah, so the last company was uh, in India. So my co-founder and I had a crazy idea of building. Um, uh, this is a crazy story. So we our original idea was actually uh, building a, a hangover drink. I know it's a typical bro entrepreneurship type of product. <laughs> it's 2011. You know, we were and and my my co-founder had a beach house. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but um, they have it in Las Vegas, too, is if you get too hungover, actually, nurses will come over and give you IV and IV, and it cures your hangover instantly because it's pure hydration. And so we were sitting there, and we're like, man, what if we could, like, bottle something up like that and sell that as, like, a mixer? 
you don't see like too many healthy mixers out there in the market and you know and it's always cranberry juice orange juice is really bad for you and they make you more hungover so what if we could bottle something and sell it as a as a great hangover uh, cure and mixer and so our, our name for it was plan a and so we registered the domain planadrink.com and we said to market this drink we're gonna have a dating sort of group dating website where you know your group of girlfriends meet my group of guy friends and we all drink this plan a and this was our whole idea behind it 2011 we had no idea what we were doing completely ridiculous and so that we built the website and we realized the drink would be way too difficult to manufacture it cost a ton of money and it was just going to be a nightmare but we thought hey maybe this website's a good idea so we built out the website and long story short we started getting traffic in from india and we started researching the market in India in 2011 when no one was going out there. And we, we saw that smartphone growth was 100% year over year. The youth population was shifting to a Western mindset, and it was the fastest growing youth population in the world. And so we said, hmm, why don't we move there and get in on the ground floor of something and see what we can do? And so we packed our bags and moved to India with two months of cash, didn't know anybody, and tried to figure it out from there. And we ended up staying there for four years. We built... Uh, dating products for the Indian market. We had two products, a mobile app and a website, uh, which was for a little uh, older older market, uh, made about six figures in revenue. And we ended up selling the company to Shadi.com, which is the Match.com equivalent in India. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah, so that was our crazy journey in India, yeah. So let, let's talk about this for one second, right there. Mm -hmm. um, this idea, you know, it's almost like trendy nowadays to tell people you've pivoted, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But but this here's a legitimate one. How what was that process like for you to make the decision? Uh, what we originally planned is a terrible idea. Let's move to India. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. <laughs> well, so it was it, it truly was the the users taking us there. I mean, we 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 saw this traffic coming in, and because you know we were paying for traffic in America, and we were just getting nowhere with it, and spending tons of money, nobody signing up, trying to do everything we could, nobody signing up. But then they had this organic traffic coming in from India. And we started looking at it, and you're like, okay, you know, that means that people are looking for a solution, right? When you're getting or organic traffic somewhere, from somewhere, people are looking for your product. And so they are looking for a solution similar to it. And so we started diving into why are they doing that? And so why are people coming here from India? And so we saw, and that's when we started researching it and saw, huh, the youth is kind of, you know, moving away from the arranged marriage mindset. Smartphones are blowing up out there. Mm, put two and two together, and no one's, no one's focusing on that market, right? You're, no one's looking at it at all. There was just Shadi.com out there, which was purely for arranged marriages, and they owned the arranged marriage market, and there was nothing else available. And so we were like, okay, this makes perfect sense. Let's go there because we need to be on the ground floor in order to really understand the market and build a product. So that's okay, that but, what happened. So I want to talk about two things there. Yeah. For so many people, though, to – to give up on your original plan that you already told all your, you bragged to all your friends and you told your mom about can, can for a lot of folks, it, instead of being honest about what the data is telling us, it can just feel like admitting failure. Right. Um, so did you feel that at all? And do you have any advice for like the hard right thing versus the easy wrong thing? Listen, everybody thought we were crazy crazy even we had we had a little we had a little uh, amount of investors at that time and i think one of them even said you're moving to a, a deserted island that's what they referred to as india and even though it has a huge population it was really meant to like okay there you know it's a poor population nothing's going on there it's like a third world country and so like everyone thought we were crazy but the, the data was it was driving us there and we saw it so i mean i 
I made the case to myself. I made the case to my co-founder because he wasn't, he was actually wasn't bought in either. But you know, I basically gave him a presentation. I said, look at the data, look at the smartphone growth, look at the youth population growth, look at the cultural shift that's happening. It's going to happen. We either go there and be a part of it or just, you know, sit here and keep beating our heads against the wall against with something that's not working. So so for you, why do you think it didn't feel like failure to switch? It it's that's a tough question because it, I mean I knew I knew that our product was failing, right? I knew our original product was failing here, here, but it was a it was more of a market failure, right? It's like, okay, this is not the right market for this product. And so I knew that. But I also knew there was an opportunity. So maybe, you know, I guess like you were saying earlier, the dreamy-eyed entrepreneur in me is like, oh, you know, I see a better opportunity over here, a good opportunity over here. So for me, it was like, okay, this isn't working here, but I think, you know, we are on the path to something better. And so that's, I saw it, you know, as completely as a positive, positive thing, even though everyone around me was telling me I was crazy. I saw it as a complete positive. Interesting. Okay. And then here's my next one, you know, um, at our consulting firm, Mylan, you know, the other half of our media company, we've got a number of folks from the classified units of the Special Operations Command, and they are such huge believers of you got to trust the boots on the ground. You know, oh, yeah. our, like um, there's kind of a derogatory term <laughs> for uh, generals and colonels and stuff that want to run things from far away um, without context, and they call them a, a chairborne ranger instead of an airborne mm. ranger, right? Yeah. Um, but it can be tempting to trust in our own understanding and figure we've got it all figured out. Um, what do you attribute the like, we're actually going to move halfway around the world, like getting that, like making that decision to go get your boots on the ground over there? I, I, you know, I, I, in my head, I said, there's no way we're going to accomplish this sitting here in Los Angeles. We just have no idea truthfully about the market. We need to get over there and see what's going on and be a part of it. I, I just thought it would be crazy for us from a business perspective. And even if you look at it from a, imagine from a, if I'm talking to investors, oh yeah, we're building a, a dating product in India. Uh, you're sitting here in Los Angeles. What do you mean? What do you know about the Indian market? And then, you know, just raising capital thought, okay, it's going to be easier and do it in India because they're going to understand the market. They're going to see what we see. So from every perspective, as far as business is concerned to me, it made the most sense to be feet on the street over there. So, you know, whether you're selling your product or, or selling your business, you know, finding investors, um, let's talk about this idea of, of living the part, you know, like we've got all these cliches about don't judge a book by its cover. Um, but of course, as humans, we are trying to efficiently sort through every situation we're up against. And so having something, you know, when you meet someone, if they appear to have the same elements of someone else that you trust who does what they claim they do, you know, people are starting ahead of the curve. Can you talk about just just that, like having a believable story as you're raising money and, and being willing to go the extra mile to to live it hard? Yeah, I think that uh, absolutely is true. And that has to happen. And I'll tell you why, how it worked for us. Um, so we were, like I said, we had two months of cash and we were running out of money, running out of money at this point. I think we were about a month in and we were like, man, you know, we tried, I don't think this is going to work. It's, it's hard to network out here. And we, it, it was just became difficult. And so I think we went to, we found the expat party on the internet or something like that. And so we're like, you know, let's just go to this expat party. We were kind of you know, just depressed a little bit. And so we go to this expat party and we met someone, We, but we, you know, obviously we were drinking a little bit. So we don't really vaguely remember too much about the night. But the next day, 
the guy emails us and he goes, Hey, great meeting you. Um, uh, I, I'm a VC here, but I, you know, I don't, I don't play in your space, but I'd like you to meet a good friend of mine. His name is Sid and he just sold his company and he's a big angel investor out here. Go meet him. So we go meet this guy, Sid, and he goes, Hey, you know, I don't really play in your space either, but I'd love for you to meet this guy, Samir Bangar. He lives in Mumbai. You're gonna have to fly there. And so we use like, we're like, okay, now we're cutting our runway even shorter, but you know, screw it. Let's go. So we, we hop on a plane. We go meet this guy, Samir Bangar. He had just sold his company to Disney for a hundred million dollars. He was flush. And we tell him our whole story. We tell him our idea. We tell him our plans. And he goes, I don't know what you guys are going to do, but the fact that you're two Americans, you know, super American, like bro kind of guys, and you moved to India to build a company, I'm going to write you a check. And he wrote us a check on the spot for $50,000 and opened up every door for us after that. <laughs> purely, purely based on the fact that we moved to India and he thought we were crazy for doing that. And I said, yeah, we got no money. We moved here and we're here. We're not going in. And so he, he wrote us a check and that was that. And so, you know, it worked out in the end. You know, it's interesting, though, that story of um, it's interesting, that story uh, where do you know who Josh Waitzkin is? He was this like uh, super like prolific chess player, world chess champion as a young kid. And then he switched and became like a Tai Chi champion. I think he won the world championships for Tai Chi in his like 20s or 30s. Have you heard of this guy? No, he's just one of those guys who just can be good at anything. <laughs> well, he was willing to pay the price for mastery. Now he coaches mm -hmm. like some of the world's biggest hedge fund, hedge fund managers and stuff. Wrote, okay. Written some great books. But yeah. like this concept of being willing to pay a price that other people aren't willing to pay. Yeah. It's interesting how... When you're looking for support for someone else who's made it, how they can recognize someone who's willing to do the kind of things they're willing to do that hardly anybody else is willing to do. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't have the full picture, they have that internal, well, if you're going to willing to do that, the probabilities are increasing that you're going to be able to make it through all your, all your road bumps and potholes, right? Yep. Interesting. Yep. That's, yeah, I think that's, you know, I think he absolutely recognized that he's like, man, these guys are crazy enough to move here when, you know, nobody, the only people, honestly, there was 2011, there, there was no Americans out there besides you get your like hippies coming through to visit the Taj Mahal and stuff. But man, they, nobody was living there. Like it just wasn't cool. So he, that's, I mean, he saw that unless they're willing to do this. So they probably, they'll make it some one way or another, they'll do something because they're crazy enough to do this. So I think he saw that in us. And saw that in himself, and he, he was just like, that's it. Let's do this. Yeah. Well, listen, I think it's a good place to end for, for episode one. Before we go, um, why don't you tell us about one of, the, one of the individuals out there that you feel like is setting a good example that, you know, somebody who you want to be more like? Hmm. Somebody who I want to be more like. Um, or just somebody who you think is doing it right. Somebody who's doing it right. Okay. Um, Okay, there's a, uh, you know, there's the, actually the guy from the Lodato Sea Challenge. His name is Eric Carr. He's the co-founder and CEO of the Lodato Sea Challenge. And, you know, before I came into the Lodato Sea Challenge, I was kind of this hard-nosed, rough type of guy, even with, like, the previous company in India. Like, I you know, like, my employees were kind of scared to talk to me that maybe he might freak out about something. He's always getting angry about little things. And, you know, Eric kind of taught, to, taught us to be a little more compassionate, caring, humble, uh, you know, and so I, I, I do aspire to be more like him in some of the some of the ways he goes about life. And so I, I look up to him in that manner, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd like to be more like that. 
Yeah, I'm really glad you picked Eric. I I remember when he decided to bring our consulting firm on as an advisor for Laudato Si. And um, how, you know, what an example of being interested in others instead yes. of taking opportunities to get us interested in him. Mm-hmm. And just like, a, I, I feel like, I don't know, it sounds dumb to say because I feel like you can't quite capture it, but just like a guy who gives such genuine appreciation and interest in others without like the underlying agenda of how that will make you how that will make you like him because he did it you know like it's <laughs> yeah. it's really for you kind of thing right right you know and, and and initially like when i got there i was even telling my co-founder i was like man this guy is like really pouring it on thick with this whole this whole like you know compassion and everything but no he he, he really is like that and when, you know when you're a type of person like that you'll make the other person believe that so he turned me around completely after, you know, after spending some time with him, I'm like, oh, man, this is this is how he is. And actually, this is an awesome way to be. <laughs> well, so, it's, it's interesting, yeah. right? Like we all have our strengths and failings and whatever. But yeah. if you can add that to your uh, repertoire, what a magnet, right? Right, right. Exactly. I think that's why he attracts all these, you know, people around him. You, know, you, you saw it in Rome. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, listen, uh, tune back in for part two. We're going to keep asking Josh about... Uh, his wild exploits and and trying to make the world better. Thanks everybody. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.